Amen. God is good. I want you to take your Bibles and jump with me into 2 Samuel. Actually, jump with me first into Revelations chapter 1, then to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm on a series entitled, The Goodness of God. If I was to have a subtitle on this word today, it would be this. Learning to forget your past. How many here have ever had a past? Well, we all have a past, don't we? And uh, one of the things that the devil wants to do is to destroy your future by holding you hostage to your past. And that's why the Bible tells us that we are to learn to forget. Everyone say forget. Forget those things which are behind and reach towards those things which are the future. If you're only forgetting but not reaching, guess what? You're not going anywhere. You're actually stuck because you can't just forget without reaching. So at the same time, I need to learn to let go. We're going to look, understand. We, on Wednesday nights, uh, we've been teaching on breaking strongholds. And uh, by the way, I want to say this. I completely forgot to tell you. But um, this Saturday morning, uh, we're having our first men's breakfast this year. And I, I know a lot of us are not here today, but I cannot stress, uh, I just have a word to our men uh, about some other things coming up. But if you can make it at 8 o'clock Saturday, really, would really uh, pray you can make that this uh, Saturday morning. But uh, I want you to read a passage with me out of Revelations chapter 1. It says this, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Now that's an important statement when it says the faithful witness because God is speaking about himself. He's a faithful witness to you. The firstborn from the dead. That means there's fo- others, others following. Do you know that you're part of that group that's part of the firstborn? The Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn. Jesus is the prototype. He's the image of sons and daughters that will be following. Our goal is to be like Jesus. How many want to be like Jesus? Now, your spirit has been made perfect and right with God. But we're still in the process of growing in the renewing of our mind. But he goes on here to say, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler, everyone say ruler, ruler over kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Everyone say this with me. I am washed with his blood and has made us paupers. All right. He's made us kings and priests. That means you are called to royalty. That means you have been high and lifted up. Some people think that when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. 
I'm here to tell you that God wants you to rule and reign on earth. Now. Now is the time. Now is the time he has done exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You see, I, I need to make a shift in my thinking because the Bible is very clear about what Jesus did on the cross. When he rose from the dead, he raised me from the dead. I'm not just waiting for the rapture and the resurrection. I'm walking in abundant life now. I'm walking in victorious life now. Oh, Pastor Ray, have you arrived? No, I haven't arrived in the sense of perfection, but I have arrived as in my position being seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means problem, even though we have situations, trials, and afflictions, Psalm says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so, see, we are not walking by sight. We live by faith. Amen? And so when we, when we look at issues, when we think about things, when we've come through something, God wants us to literally understand what it is to renew our minds. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom or the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're free. You're free. You're free from your past. You're free from sin. You're free from condemnation. See, freedom from my past means that I need to move out of how I feel, what I think, what I know, what I've come through, and I need to begin to take a new position, a new understanding of what Jesus did for me on the cross. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. It has destroyed the curse. It has put a new DNA inside of you. You have a DNA that is God-like. You have a nature. You have a faith. God has not just renewed your spirit. He renews your mind. How many out here have the mind of Christ? Now, he declares and professes that. Now, I need to start thinking like he thinks. I need to start seeing like he sees. You know, this past week, I was doing my own little treasure hunt. Carol and I went into a store, and I saw a young teenage man, maybe might have been a freshman, a sophomore in high school. He was sitting over on a chair in this particular store we went into. And as I walked by him, the Lord says, I have a word for this young man. I kept going, and, and I kept looking at him. His legs were shaking. And I think he was just, and he was on his cell phone, and uh, he had braids in his hair, but his, his knees were kind of knocking. And I thought, I wonder if he had a nervous condition or something going on. I, I don't know. But Carol and I, we were in this place. And then as we were coming out, the Lord says, I want you to, I want you to just, just talk to him. I want you to encourage him. And so I said, Lord, I don't have a word. You know, how many of you ever had God say, go, but you don't have the word yet? Well, that happens to me a lot. By the way, that even happens when I'm preaching at times. I get something prepared. God says, you're not going to share it. I said, Lord, would you tell me that Monday? But he doesn't work like that. And I'll tell you why he doesn't work like that. Because he wants, he doesn't want you in your rut. He wants you to trust him every second. Anyway, I'm in this story. And so I come up to this man, and he look, young man. He looks up to me. And, and I said, um, I just want to just share something with you that I see music all over you. 
he looks around like this. He says, how did you know that? Uh, do you know me? And I said, no, I don't know anything about you, but I'm here. I, I want to tell you something that Jesus Christ has an actual purpose and a plan for your life. I see you doing amazing things in music. He says, I'm a clarinet player in my band, but all of a sudden I am writing music. I love to write music and compose. And, and I said, there's something else. I said, your dad is not in your life right now. He says, who are you? I, I, my dad's never been in my life. I, I said, okay, but, but that's not the issue here. I said, you have a father in heaven who's going to be revealing himself to you, and he's going to begin to bring out gifts, going to begin to bring out an understanding about your purpose in life. God has something for you that is so much larger. And he's look, then, then this big grin comes on his face. He said, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. I said, it is awesome. I said, let me tell you the key, though. The key to this, because God is good, is you receiving Jesus into your life. He he just caused and creates the, an explosion of creativity. But he's planted seeds in you. He loves you. He cares for you. He says, who are you? I said, I'm just a Christian. I didn't tell him I'm a pastor. I learned my mistake a long time ago. Some people, when you even mention the word reverend pastor, you know what the word reverend means? I don't even know why pastors even use the word. It means he who strikes with terror. That's what the word reverend means, to strike with terror. I mean, there's people that have so many crazy stereotypes. I, so I said, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I, I know the Lord. I'm a father. But I said, God wants to come to you. And I want to tell you something. He's speaking to you now. And he wants to speak to you in the future, at night. I said, you write things at night. How do you how, how how do you know that you, you you've got you journal most most boys don't journal but you write things down yeah I do I have weird dreams in there crazy dreams and I said well I want to tell you something God wants to bring the the composition of all of these things together and He wants to empower you because you see the image of God Almighty is to create and to produce life, and he wants to do that in you. And so I said, that's, that's all I had to say. I didn't pray with the guy. I didn't even ask if he wanted Jesus in his life. I, I just I felt the Lord just came to me, come to have me come to him for a word of knowledge and let him know. I just simply so to say, didn't pass a card, didn't invite him to church. That was not the point. I just felt I did what the Holy Spirit told me to do. But here's the point. Do you know that God has called all of you to interrupt the lives of people? Everyone say, interrupt. God wants to interrupt. There's people around you right now that are dying. There are people right now that are sitting in their life, in their own heart, and they don't know their purpose. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what to do. They don't know anything. God wants to interrupt their life with you. With a word of knowledge, a word of hope, a word of vision. How many of you believe that? 
You see, that's why the vision, the faith of God's people need to be lifted up. You're not just, you're not where you're at just to pull home a paycheck. I mean, thank God for your jobs. Just to mow your lawn, fix your house, deal with your cockroaches. God has so much bigger things than that. Amen? He wants to lift your vision. Jesus took 12 disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, uh, j- just regular farmers, pulled them together and imparted something that was greater than them. If we cannot, at open heavens, impart something that's greater than where you're at, then we failed our job. I'm not here just to get you to coast, just, just hanging on for the rapture. Oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, Jesus, rapture me. I'm here to tell you right now, I hate to burst anybody's eschatology bubble, but God's not interested in rapturing you. He's interested that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's not coming back until we all come alive. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you're alive. You are full of life. You are full of God. God has given you the Holy Spirit so you can be a very, very powerful person. Now, I want want us to confess something this morning because, you see, learning to forget the past is learning to confess what I am right now. Now, some of you may think, well, this is egotistical and over the top. But no, Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued not with tongues, not with gifts. He did not so, so you're more charismatic, not because you're a great guy or more friendly or got a bigger smile. He says, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. He wants you powerful. He wants your influence to rattle people in a healthy way. He wants people to ask Do you know that you are the answer to someone's prayer right now? There are people depressed, taking Xanax, taking this, taking every pill under the the sun, running to doctors, running to therapists, running, running, running. And their answer is in the Holy Spirit. Because your body doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. This is my body. belongs to him. And what does the Bible say about my body? Glorify God in your bodies, which is the Lord's. And you know what? When God is being glorified in your life, there's things that are happening. People begin to say, how did you know that? Where did you come from? Do you know that? That's a great testimony. People should not look at you and say, oh, you're just one of the other guys. You're just one of the other gals. Well, I, you're like everybody else. That, that to me would kill me. If that's my witness to people around me, you're, just, you're no different than anybody else. No, you are salt and you're to stand out. You, Jesus said this in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. You're brilliant. There's something shining in you. You have words of knowledge and words of wisdom. This isn't, you know, we used to, I, where I come from, we used to think that it was confined simply, simply to the apostolic apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That was not the case in the early church. 
Do you remember Stephen in Acts chapter 6? Stephen was appointed to serve tables because there was a ruckus. I mean, the revival was literally hinging on what they were going to do when it comes to ministering to widows. Stephen was one of the seven that was chosen by the apostles to serve tables, serve the, the widows. But get what? guess what? Stephen one day began to think, you know what? I think I want to lay hands on people. I think I, I think, I think I, I'd like to move into ministry beyond just serving bread and Kool-Aid. The Bible says that Stephen in Acts chapter 6 had great faith. He shifted gears in his life and he began to see he saw himself praying for people, not just giving food. By the way, it's great to give food. It's great to minister to the poor and give water and serve needs in the natural. And that James brings it out, how the if you can't minister to the poor and if all you do is pray for the, the, the needy, but you don't give of your substance to the needy, your Christianity is worthless, he says. But Stephen got a vision. I think, I think if I actually move out and lay hands on people, and pray for them, I think they're going to get healed. I think God may give me a word of knowledge. And the Bible says there were great signs and wonders through the laying on of hands of Stephen. Guess what? No prophet, no apostle, no pastor, no teacher, no counselor told him to do that. It was simply a thought. How many of you here have ever had a thought that you thought that caused you to step outside your box? Have you ever dreamed a dream that was something bigger than where you're at, what you're doing right now? And all of a sudden you say, and you probably, oh, I, I can't do that. It's probably not God's will. Can I just say something to help us in that area? God will reward people who try and fail, and he will judge those who think about it but do nothing, who take the safe route. It's in Matthew 25. The parable of the man with the talent who buried his talent because he was afraid of God and he was afraid that he would mess up and lose it. So he did nothing. And God judged him and took his talent, gave it to the guy who had 10 talents. That's why there is no excuse. Here's the point. We're so failure conscious and so problematic conscious the worst, I don't want to be out of the will of God. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to cross any lines. I'm afraid I might embarrass them. See, if you have that conscience, you are not a New Testament, Holy Spirit-filled, empowered believer. You're taking it and playing it safe because you don't know God. God wants us to be water-walking, boat-sinking, mountain-moving, mountain-climbing faith-calling, resurrector-raising. God wants us to be people who stand in the valley of dry bones, not run from the valley. Not, well, I don't like this valley because it's too dead here. No, God says stay there and speak to the valley of dry bones. We got everybody looking to, oh, I'm, I'm looking for the revival. God says I put you right where I want you to bring revival. I'm not moving to Bethel in Reading. They've got a great revival. God's doing all this. I don't need to go to Bethel. God wants a Bethel. God doesn't want a Bethel. God wants his own work here. 
May God open our eyes that it's bigger than... Jesus said this, the kingdom's not here and the kingdom's not there. The kingdom is inside you. When are we going to start realizing, well, uh, I just don't have what it takes and this church doesn't have what it don't say. I'm just not... And what we do is we complain in our little homes. It's like what happened with the children of Israel. The Bible says God spoke to Moses. He says, I hear what they're saying in their tents. They're murmuring against you, Moses, but it's not against you. They're murmuring against me. Complaining kept Israel out of the promised land. In the wilderness. Do you know your wilderness was not intended to hold you or limit you? God's will, you may be in the wilderness right now. God wants you to thrive. God intended for you to look at your wilderness, your valley of dry bones, and start speaking to it. When I went into that store this past week, as many times, I looked at this guy and said, Lord, he's not going to relate to me. I'm an old geezer. This guy is a probably young 16, 17-year-old boy, and braids in his hair. His, I don't know if he was listening to music. He had earplugs in and going on. The Lord said, you go. I, I want to tell you something. In my flesh, I did not want to go. By the way, I, I saw no angels. There's no halos on my head. The heavens didn't open. No flashes of lightning came down. Gabriel didn't appear. No audible voice. It was simply an impression. And so we moved, I, I moved in that area. I believe, in. I, I don't say this in any way from my sight, I want you to say, understand something. I believe that young man's life was altered and changed forever. How many here have ever had a total stranger come up to you, give you a word about something that you didn't know that anyone else knew? It changed your life. He'll never forget that. Whether he comes to New Life or this church or any other church, it's not, that's not my problem. What, what is important is that God cares about him. Whether he comes here or not, boy, did I learn a lesson years ago. I don't want to go down that road. But I just want us to know God is calling us right now to shift gears. He wants you not just to forget your past, he don't, no longer, but he doesn't want you to hold, be held hostage or entangled. The Bible says, stand fast. Everyone say, stand fast. Therefore, in the freedom or liberty, you're all free right now whether you think so or not. If you're dealing with addictions, if you're dealing with some fears, if you're dealing with bondage, if you're dealing with some relationships in your life that don't seem to be trans, being changed, I want you to know that Jesus Christ said in his word, because of the, the authority and the power of the blood, you have been a king, made a king, and you're made a priest, which means that you have the power to come as an intercessor. A priest was one who offered gifts unto the Lord, and you're to operate in those gifts. You're to operate. You have a special assignment. A priest was one who held as an assignment. Kings were those who were elevated to a place of royalty, authority, and dominion. And so when you pray, there's power in your prayer. When you speak, demons really flee. The powers of darkness run when you get on your knees. When you begin to not just declare the name of Jesus, let me tell you why the name of Jesus is so powerful, is because the name declares the nature. Do you know that the name of Jesus in and of itself is not powerful? Because there's Christians all over the world saying, in the name of Jesus, nothing happens. It's because the name reveals the nature. 
Satan is afraid of the nature. But when the nature corresponds with those who declare the name, it gives power and meaning behind it. Because even the devils confess the name and tremble, James 2 says. So just saying, in the name of Jesus, no. That's why we have been baptized into his nature. That's why we're talking about water baptism. If you haven't been baptized in water, amen. How many of you are really ready to be immersed and really be, be completely immersed in the power of his new nature, raised in the new nature? The old man dies, the new man comes alive. I want you to jump back with me in your Bibles into 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 9, David who is such a powerful picture and a type of Christ. <clears throat> and what he does here, he's reigning as a king and as a prophet, Second Samuel chapter 9. And uh, I've got to move here very, very quickly. Second Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> David makes a statement. And in this passage, which is a very unique passage, you actually have the Trinity. You have the Father, you have the Son, and the Holy Spirit revealed in three different people in this passage. David is a, an amazing worldwide leader. God has raised Israel to a pro place of prominence and such authority and such power and such favor. David was not just a man after God's own heart because he was a military strategist or because of his, his victories. David's key, the, 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 the key to David's life was that he had a walk with God. He walked with God. He had a relationship. David understood the importance, the most, the first order of business. When David was anointed under his third anointing, when they finally came into Jerusalem under his third anointing, David was anointed three times. But when he was anointed the third time, the first order of business as a king was this. And I suggest this to every father, every mother, every every everybody. The first thing he said, we need the presence of the Lord. David didn't say, well, we need to get the armies together and kind of figure out our economy. That was not his concern. Those things he did deal with, those economic issues and social issues and environmental issues and all those things, David had to deal with that just like we. The first thing that David did when he was king, anointed king, is where's the ark? Where is the ark of God's presence? We've got to find the ark. It wasn't, how's the economy? How are we going to make it? Where's the money going to come from? Now, where's the presence? Because when you have the presence and the favor and the grace resting on you, you are walking in wisdom, knowledge. You're walking in the power of the miraculous. You've got open heavens. God says, whatever you ask, I'll give. Whatever you speak, I'll move. When you, when you call it out, I'll move it for you. See, David understood the key to his success. And yet we have today, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it, we have today, we have fathers and mothers that don't even mention God in their homes. We don't even pray. We got a problem. You're sick or something's going wrong. Many times as a pastor, I'll ask people, have you prayed? Well, well we do that at church. How about at home? Well, I can't because I just had a big blowout with my wife and I'm 
Feel like a hypocrite. That's the time to pray. Yeah, but I'm a hypocrite. No, you're not a hypocrite. That's a lie from the enemy. Aren't you glad in the New Testament Jesus chose disciples that put their foot in their mouth? I'm so glad. I'm so grateful for Peter. I'm so grateful for their arrogance, their pride, their weaknesses. I mean, we it's an open book, even in the life of David. Why did God give us a Bible with men and women who blew it? Who messed up? It was to help us to understand that God is merciful and he's gracious. And he's not going to throw you out on the streets because you blow it. You read a Psalms 107. In fact, jump over there with me. Psalms 107. Keep your finger in, in, in 2 Samuel. L- listen to what it says here in, in Psalms 107. Just, just an amazing, amazing scripture. I love what it says <clears throat> here. Psalms uh, 107, it says, verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with what? Goodness. God is good. Those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, notice this, because they rebelled against the words of God. They despised the counsel. Here is rebellion. These are God's people here. They're in rebellion. They despised his counsel. Therefore, he, the Lord, brought down their hearts with labor. They fell down, and there was no one to help. Verse 13, then they cried out to Buddha. They they turned TV on. No, they went to the liquor cabinet, got drunk. No, it says they cried out that... They went to their counselor. It says they cried out to the Lord in their time of success. There's trouble. Did they cry out when, well, Lord, I can call, I can come before you today because you know my track record's doing pretty good. Praise God. No, he says they cried out in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses, brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for the wonderful works to the children of men. Can you say amen? What is God trying to tell us right there? Why did he use the children of Israel? Because he knew centuries following there's going to be a lot of people. Our churches are filled with broken not confessing brokenness over you, but there's a, the, all of us have come out of dysfunctional families. All of us have come out of brokenness. All of us have come out of different areas of sin or weaknesses. God is here to say that when you call on his name, he will deliver you. He won't just deliver you. He'll raise you on high. Now, when you go back into the book of 2 Samuel, there's a young man, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all because my time is moving. But here David, in the height 
of his prosperity and the glory of his kingdom. He was a reigning king. He was a win- he was winning battles. God was giving him words of knowledge, words of understanding, how to fight the Philistines. One day he was to go in one way, hide behind the mulberry bush. The next time God says, I want you to do it a different way to kill the Philistines. I mean, God was just giving success after success after success to David. David was a king. His, his kingdom, though, interesting, his, his reign and his beginnings were a very humble beginning. If there was ever a guy who had a reason to complain and blame God, it was David. He was raised in a home, very dysfunctional, who ha- raised in a, in a home whose father had definite favoritism towards the older, older brothers. Wasn't even invited to the party when Samuel came to anoint the king. Samuel laid his hands on all of the other seven sons and says to Jesse, the father, do you got another boy around here? And Jesse, in shock, says, yeah? I mean, think about, how would you like to be forgotten by your dad? Yeah, I got another one. He takes care of the sheep. He, he's the dung collector. He takes care of the sheep. He says, go, go get him. I need him. And all the older brothers are standing there like, can't believe this. I, I was the firstborn, and I'm the next in line because I'm the honored older son that should be the king. According to tradition, I'm the man. Well, how many of you know that pride goes before a fall? And when Jesse or Samuel was laying hands on these guys, God spoke to Samuel's heart. The prophet says, not him, not him not him. It's not because these guys are bad people. God was looking for a man after his heart. Do you know that you can have an arrogant, proud heart and God will pass you by? It's not that he wants to, but when we have a heart, David David had a heart after God, but not only had a heart after God, he had a heart to serve people. By the way, you know what? We have an amazing church here. We, we, we have awesome people here that serve. And you, you guys are such a blessing. Hardworking, serving people. By the way, we need help in ushering. Here, here's a commercial break right here. We could use more ushers. We need a few more people in the salon booth. If you have any technical skills, we could use your help. The people that are serving there doing a fantastic job. We need some help. Pray about it. If you don't know anything about electronics, we can help you. Or ushering. We, we need help in those areas. Uh, just to help the church and the technical things. It takes a lot of people to help kind of put things together. We, we thank everyone who has served and is serving today and has served in the past. What a blessing they are. Uh, uh, so I, I'm just letting you know that. But, but David had this heart to serve. And he served in areas that that others didn't want to serve in. And God says, that, that's, that's the guy who's got the heart of a king. That's the kind of king I want to put. Not some guy who's got it stuck in his head. He's, it's all about him. But David has a heart to lay down his life for his people. That's the kind of heart. He's not hung up on, well, people need to know who's coming. The world's waiting for me. Now, that's not the spirit that God's after. You know, I, I, I got to say something. I, I have a, 
I just have a personal issue. When people start saying, Ray Galligan Ministries, I'm using my name because I'll never do it. It's not my ministry. It never will be my ministry. Everything I have belongs to him. You walk down this hall, there's no Pastor Ray on the, on the door. You know why? Because it's not my church. It belongs to him. When you start taking ownership of something that you're to be a steward over, you get in trouble because now you have to manage it. You see, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And I need to always have an open hand. Lord, this is yours. You give it to me in this season, but you can have it back whenever you want. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's critical. It's very important. When we look for leadership, we look for humility. We look for the, a, a person who's there's humility. They're not, look at me. Not looking for that. Well, that, that turns me off. But when I see a person humble, there's humility. Pastor, I'm, I'm here to just serve. I'm willing to sweep the floors. By the way, serving starts with Pastor Ray. Jesus washed the disciples' feet first. He didn't say, okay, Peter, James, Andrew, you guys get down here. Wash my toes. They've been kind of dirty lately. I'm the Messiah. I'm the big, I'm the big man here. Wash my feet. Okay, because you know who I am. Not what Jesus did. He got down on his knees and he washed every single one, even Judas. That's leadership. And that's what I hope we can see in our churches. Because that's what God blesses. He doesn't bless people that have these personal desires to promote themselves. Dangerous. That's what Saul was. But here we find David, man after God's own heart. He's, he's there, and, and notice what he says, which is so much the heart of the Father. Is there anyone here left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David is the type of the Father. Jonathan is the type of Jesus. Because David said, for Jonathan's sake, do you know for God so loved the world that he gave his what, only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish? Do you know for Jonathan's sake, David said, I will show kindness to any of the descendants of the house of Saul. Do you know why Jesus loves you? Because he loves his son. Do you know that the father did not make a covenant with you? He made a covenant with Jesus. Jesus kept the covenant. We're covenant breakers, but because we're in Christ, we're the beneficiaries. We benefit from what Jesus did. That truth alone should set you free from legalism because it's not about what you did it's, or do. It's what he's already done. But here in this passage, David said, for Jonathan's sake, I will show the descendants of the house of Saul. Now, notice who Saul was. If you go back into antiquity and understanding this system, and usually uh, kings that, that take power had the right and could destroy the descendants of, of pre-existing king, kings or kingdoms or their entourage because they felt threatened that they possibly could try to take over the throne. David doesn't do that. 
David chose kindness to those who could have been his enemies. One of the reasons why David was shown great grace and the Lord used him in a powerful way. So he, he begins to, to show kindness. Kindness was his heart. He, he wants to restore. And it says there was a, a servant by the name, uh, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Ziba here in this passage is a type of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He's a comforter. And he's asking about the house of Saul. And as you go down here, verse 4, it says, And the king said, Where is he? Everyone say that with me. Where is he? Do you know God's looking for you? Where are you? Well, the Bible, as we go on to find, we find that Ziba knows exactly one grandson from the house of Saul. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is any place called the house of Makar. Makar was a man who was a human trafficker. He was also a sex trafficker. A house of Makar in Lodabar. It is on the east side of the Jordan River. He lived, he, he escaped out of the region of Judea and chose to live in the land of the enemy. He actually felt safer than living where his life could be taken than going back into Judea where if King David would find him, his thinking was wrong because he didn't know the king. His thinking was that if David or his descendants know where I'm at, they will surely kill me because my grandfather tried to kill him. Do you see where this dysfunctional thinking goes from? How many of you know we can build a case against somebody? Till we begin to, I heard a story, true story. There was a guy who was a lawyer, by the, by the way. He, he got a flat tire. And right out in the middle of the nowhere, he sees a farm a mile away. And uh, he's out there, and so he gets out of the car, opens his trunk, and comes to find out his, his spare tire is also flat. And so he sees a farm a mile away, and he starts hitting, knocking himself down. says, I can't believe I'd be out here in nowhere. I got a flat tire, and my spare is flat. So he starts walking back, and as he sees this farm a long distance, and he's walking to get help, he starts talking to himself. He says, you know what? I'm so stupid. I would, I, you know this... I don't know who I'm going to meet, but I bet when I start talking to these guys, they might start laughing at me. In fact, they might even start calling me names. And he's, as he's getting closer to the farmhouse, he's now talking, and he is in a, a, a such a rage and an anger that when he finally gets to the door and knocks on the door, and a wonderful, sweet farmer and his wife standing there, and before they say anything, he says, I don't need any of your help. And I'm sad that I have to be here, but I got a flat tire. And, and the farmer and his wife said, please come in. We'd love to help you. Said, oh, 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 you would? Yes, I'd, we'd love to help you. If you. I'll get my tractor. We'll jack. I, I got, I've got some ways to help you fix your tire. What I'm saying is, on his little way up to the farmhouse, he built such a negative case because of the lies and the fears that were in his mind. 
How many have, have, have actually pushed help away because you allow negative thinking to dwell in your mind and you have created this thing. They're going to make an idiot. They're going to make a fool. They're going to all laugh at me. They're going to probably think you should have thought of this before you even came down out into the country. How many of you know the devil wants us to do that? So guess what? We just sit there and die in our desert, isolated by ourselves. I'm not going to go for any help because I know they're all going to look at me, going to laugh at me, gonna laugh because I'm a stupid idiot for leaving with no spare tire. Then when you finally knock on the door, you come to find out they're the nicest people you ever met. Do you know that there's people in the kingdom like that today? They've got a case against God. They've got a case against the church. They've got a case against pastors. They've got a case against Christians. I want to tell you something. It's demonic. It's a lie from the enemy. And what Satan wants is to keep you alive. And isolated. That's where Mephibosheth was. Mephibosheth was alone, isolated, by himself, tormented. I know if David finds me, he'll kill me because my granddad, my granddad for 16 years chased him down because of his jealousy. He'll kill me. Ziba comes by the orders of the king. David, he goes to Makar, the house of Makar. By the way, Makar, interesting character. He would take prostitutes who were beyond the flower of their age. They lost their beauty. They, they weren't sellable anymore. What a prostitute or a whore would do back in those days is you would sell yourself into slavery simply for survival. They couldn't sell themselves anymore because nobody wanted them. But if you sold yourself to the house of Makar, Makar would say, I'll take care of you. I'll give you some beans and rations, but you're my slave for life. That's where Mephibosheth learned to accept his existence. There are people today have learned to accept the lie of the enemy to exist in the slavery and the bondage where the enemy has put a lie. He stamped a lie over. But here comes Ziba. I would, I would have loved to be a, been a fly on the wall to hear the conversation between Ziba and Mephibosheth when Ziba comes into the room and says, Mephibosheth, the king, I knew it. I knew it. He found me. Because Mephibosheth, the Bible, by the way, says he had seven or eight children, by the way. So he was a married man with sons and daughters. So I, I can imagine Mephibosheth saying, kids, can't run. By the way, Mephibosheth had a reputation. He was had a bad reputation. He was of the house of the Saul. He was also lame on both legs because a nurse dropped him when his grandfather Israel was being chased in by Philistines. A nurse picked him up when he was an infant and dropped him. How many Christians today have been dropped by people you trusted in and they never healed right so he never could walk? Mephibosheth also had a spirit of fear. He had a complex. He had this mindset. But you know what? It's safer to live with the enemies than to be with God's people because if they all knew what I used to do, they'll reject me. How many of you know that's a lie from the enemy? And so Mephibosheth found it and was conditioned, conditioned emotionally and mentally and relationally. I'd rather live with the enemy with, than with God's people because I know what my family used to do. 
to the house of God, to David, who is now the king. He'll kill me for sure. Folks, what I'm telling you this morning, I believe by the Holy Spirit, if you don't fight demonic thoughts, you will not win. We need to stop bringing assaults against believers, pastors, and elders, and other ministries when it's demonic. Now, I understand there's pastors and leaders out there that are not genuine. I know there's people that are money-hungry, they got lack of integrity, there's issues in their own personal relationship, but don't wipe everybody off the map. We need to be careful. I can just imagine Ziba said, wait a minute, wait a minute, Mephibosheth. You don't know David like I know David. What are you saying? He wants to be kind to you. He wants to restore. He wants to be merciful to you, Mephibosheth. He wants to embrace you as a son. He's not going to kill you. No, I I don't believe that. I know what kings do when kings are replaced by their descendants. They want to kill you. Ziba says, you don't know David. You don't even know God. God wants to restore you, Mephibosheth. Come back. Come back home. Three things in closing. Number one, I've got to leave the house of Melchor. And I need to sever certain attitudes and thoughts and certain ideologies that hold me in the house of bondage. I need to realize, and you can only do that, when God's love becomes greater than your failure. Do you know why people don't break away from their problems? is because the Bible tells us greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. People don't leave their past, and they hold on to it, and they feel safe in that dilemma because God has not become real or God is not greater in their minds and their lives. Let me tell you four things under this point number one you've got to do. You've got to renew your mind. Everyone say renew. Number one, renewing my mind means that I need to be exposed to the love of God. I need to be exposed to God's good plan. God's not going to destroy you. He already took took the punishment of of your sins on Jesus' body at the cross. God is here to restore, embrace, bring you in and raise and bring you to a place where you're seated, exalted in places of authority and ruling and grace and favor. The first thing I need to do is renew my mind. Number two, fill. Everyone say fill. I need to fill my mind with the knowledge of God's Word. Why do I need the knowledge? Why are we teaching? Here's the reason why you teach. is so you can discern the difference between the truth and the lie. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They don't know the difference. If you are not feeding your faith, your faith will weaken. You will give up on God. You'll give up on your house. Then you'll give up on yourself. If you don't renew, you must fill. The third thing you must do is you, I forgot. Thank you, Ford. Walk. Everyone say walk. It's not enough to fill your mind, renew your mind. I've got to now walk out the word. Yeah, but pastor, I don't like walking out the word. I had a good conversation with John Stanson this past week about nutrition. John 
Hey, do you ever have a problem with weight gain or nutrition? This is the man to talk to. And you know what? Right now, I'm going to tell you of my own personal little private addiction that Pastor Ray, my wife, is here to bear witness to this. And honey, wave up a flag, throw a shoe at me if I'm lying. But I have quit drinking soda pop. But I want you to know, it is an everyday battle. But you know what I used to think? I used to think, well, I just got to stop drinking Coke. Well, it needs to go farther than that. I need to stop buying Coke. And then I need to start liking water. You see, it's not just Coke is bad, Coke is bad. Coke is bad, I rebuke that Coke spirit. I rebuke it, I rebuke it. I hate Coke, I hate Coke. No. The more I, in fact, the more I tell myself I hate it, the more I say, you liar, you liar, you love Coke, you want Coke. See, the devil wants me to stay in Lodabar in the house of bondage. Be not entangled again with the house. Here's the problem. The reason why people don't get free is they're focusing so much on their weakness and their failures and what they love. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says the pleasures of sin, the sin for a pleasure is pleasurable. Sin is fun, but it destroys you. Don't ever tell Don't ever tell your children sin's not fun. That's a lie. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, sin for a season is pleasurable, but the wages of it brings death. Well, then how do you overcome it? I, I like it so much. You have to get the greatness, have a vision of the greatness of who God is, and you have to change your spiritual palate. You won't believe what I'm eating right now. I'm eating one of those crazy things, Carol. Carrots, peas, snap peas. I actually am tasting the sweetness in snap peas. Or snap beans. Peas, beans, what is it? Raw vegetables are better. I'm going to tell you something. I've lost 11 pounds. Don't, don't give me any clap because I haven't got my goals reached yet. Now, thank God John said, Ray, you can backslide once in a while and have one can of Coke. I'm just kidding. But, but he, he says, you know, you, you, you can go from one extreme to the other. But here's the thing. The renewing of my mind is you have to walk out in your attitude, in your mouth, in your thinking, and you have to say, you know what? I'm, I'm enjoying this. I, I'm, I'm enjoying. I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get skinnier. I'm going to get energy, more life. See, I'm confessing and agreeing with what is healthy for my body. I'm now up to a mile and a quarter walking up a six-degree incline every day, which I couldn't have done a couple months ago. Thank you, Lord. But here's the point. While I'm walking out my confession and my thinking and I'm changing my attitude. There's a little liar in my head also saying, you are so phony. You want to go out and just go and guzzle, guzzle at least 10 cans of Coca-Cola. Oh, I'm guaranteeing you. But I want to tell you something. Every day, the voice of the liar is disappearing. 
getting weaker. I, I did a test two weeks ago. We were at McDonald's, and I said, Carol, I'm not going to eat anything. I can't eat anything at McDonald's. But I tasted a sip of Coke, and it was so sweet. I said, I can't drink that. And I said, yes! Change is coming! Now I'm drinking a lot of iced tea and water. Still doesn't taste all that great. But, but see, you have to not just renew your mind, and then you need to renounce the lies of the enemy, and you need to empower your thoughts, and you need to empower your vision and your life, but then you need to also, what was that word I used? I need to walk it out, and the last one is this, and I'm going to end with this. I'm not done, but here, I'm going to say it. You need to sever your ties. You need to sever your ties and renounce your relationship with the house of Nekar, with any demonic, with any lie of the enemy, anything that keeps you from moving towards that God-given goal in your life. Do you know that all of you are highly called of God? All of you are favored of God. God is calling us to renew our mind. He's calling us to renounce the lies of the enemy. He's calling us to leave Lodabar. Leaving Lodabar will not happen until you begin to recognize that, wow, David is... David and what David represents, our Heavenly Father, is so good. And as you go through the Scripture, that I, I don't want to finish this Scripture or finish this now. I'm going to take it in the next week because of how the significance of this is placing you in a, a place of prosperity, a place of favor and grace, and a place of dominion and authority that you're to walk in. You're to walk this thing out. Walk it out. Amen? Did you get anything out of that this morning? Um, can we just stand to our feet this morning? I, I believe the Lord impressed on me this morning two words, shift gears. God wants us to shift gears. You know, years ago I had a brand new 64, not a brand new, it was a used 64 Impala. I was driving around town in Hood River. I got stuck in second gear. And I couldn't get it out of second gear. My motor was, RPMs were high. Couldn't get it out of second gear. Some of us have been stuck in second gear, and you were created for greater things than where you're at. Now, here's what you got to do. You got to thank God for being in second gear. Don't say, "Well, Lord, I I know you've got me greater things than this." You need to be grateful. David was even thankful and grateful being and serving his father taking care of sheep. He wasn't anointed to be king and then brought right into the palace. There was a process of getting him to the palace. You hear what I'm saying here? Sometimes we bucket. You may not realize that where you're at right now, God's preparing you for greatness. Don't fight it. Say, Lord, you're teaching me. Teaching me to be faithful. You're teaching me, Lord, to serve. You're teaching me, Lord, to renew my mind. You're teaching me, Lord, to fight the right battles and not to fight the wrong ones. Can I say this? People are not your problem. Everyone say that with me. People are not my problem. The problem is spiritual wickedness 
in high places. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not your problem. People cannot limit you. They can't limit God. People cannot keep you from promotion. Never. There's no pastor that can keep you from being promoted. Never. God will bypass it. You can never be limited by what's only in your head. We need to have that I can do all things through Christ. I can. I'm going to make it. I don't like the journey. God didn't say you had to like it. But you can say, I I can do this. I'm going to like peace. I'm going to like water. I'm going to like exercise. I'm going to like learning to walk my faith. I'm going to like my enemies. Lord, you're going to teach me to walk by faith. I can do this. I, I want to tell you, right now, God is testing me right now with what I'm teaching you. Right now, I'm walking, not just with Coca-Cola, with other things. I'm walking this out. And you know what? Sometimes it's frightening, but it's so rewarding. Let's bow our, let's bow our heads, can we? Maybe this morning you say, you know, Pastor Ray, I've been living in the house of Lodabar. And I've allowed the lie of the enemy to hold me hostage, entangled. I want to be free from that. I want to come into the full potential that God has for my life right now. And I know that there's more. But I've thought and I've been thinking so small and so negative. And I've allowed current circumstances to limit my own faith and my confession. I need to be set free from this. I need to see God greater because He is greater. Lord, I need You to expand my horizons to see the faithfulness of God. You're a good God. You're a great God. Lord, I just pray right now You just heal me from limiting myself, limiting my own leadership, limiting my family, limiting myself through negative unbelief and confession. That's you this morning. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Okay? See your hands. Anyone else? Some things I need to break off my life. Some of you need just set free. There's some things I need to break off right now in Jesus' name. Father, we we see those hands in Jesus' name. Father, you love each and every one of us. And because of Jesus, like David, who saw sonship in Mephibosheth, you see the beauty of the Lord in these people who have their hands raised in all of us. Father, we pray right now that glory, honor, the revelation of what Jesus did for us in raising us from the dead would be revealed to us in such a way that we would be able to think exceedingly abundantly above what we could ever imagine or think in our own minds, possessing your promises. And everyone said... Amen. I know I went a little over today. Turn to someone, give them a hug. If you would like prayer, I'd love to pray with you, anoint you, bless you in Jesus' name. God bless, and you have a great day in the Lord.